Big word today, enemies. It's a good, tough subject, particularly in the culture in which we live today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. And I've been preaching the Sermon on the Mount, oh gosh, we're in just finishing chapter 6 today, and I think I started it in September when we were still outside and everything was good. <laughs> Last week we looked at revenge, and we learned that we should not retaliate. That's difficult to do, I realize that, particularly when somebody says something bad about you or they talk falseness about you. And it's, it's not that we can't defend the truth. But we can't retaliate in the form of anger in those issues. And then in uh, 36, basically 30, uh, excuse me, 39 to 42, where Jesus told us to take the high ground. To take the high ground. It is so much harder to be a Christian than it is to follow the law. Because what you've noticed here as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus takes an external and brings it internal. He does the same here today. And it does call us to a higher plane. That is, Jesus expects more of us, not less of us. Jesus is more concerned not about the externals, but the internals of our heart. He always has. It always been there. Jesus is more concerned about how we think and how we feel and how we reason than the outward. Because you can present outward niceness, but inward be really bad. And so, let's look at what Jesus said today. It's, it, again, it's easier to do the law. I, Friday night, um, Friday evening, I posted this on Facebook that this is what pastors do on Friday night. I was listening to John MacArthur's sermon. And in that sermon, John MacArthur was talking about encouragement to one another. And that should be our call today as a word of encouragement. In, in the midst of so much discouragement and so much worldliness that has come into our lives recently. And what Jesus tells us very plainly is that we must be caring people. This should be the hallmark the banner of the Christian faith. And he begins with the law of Moses. And I put a question mark there. Not questioning Jesus' statement, but questioning was this really of the Mosaic law. And I don't believe it was. You have heard it said that it was said, Jesus. And whenever he quotes that, he's going back to something that has been said in the, in the Mosaic law. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, let's unpack this. The word love is agapao, which means a loving concern. So when Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor, it is to show a loving concern for their welfare, for their well-being, possibly checking on them to make sure that they're okay. And the word neighbor is miso. Uh, I'm sorry, it is not. Placion. I got that wrong with hate. A person who lives close beside somebody else. That's what it means. So it means that we're to show loving concern for the person next door, 
for the person down the street, anybody that we come in contact with, that is our neighbor. In opposition to this, Jesus said, the law said, hate your enemies. Please mark this down. The law never said that. What is Jesus talking about here? He is talking about the Pharisees who used isolated text to say that we could hate anybody that we disagree with. Jesus knew that. This was pointed at the Pharisees and the scribes and anybody who abused the Mosaic law. Yes, the law does say, you shall love your neighbor. That part is true. But hate your enemy was in isolated texts and Psalms and other places where God hates the enemies against Israel. Now, the question is, what do we do? Well, the word miso-hate means to strongly dislike to the point of being hostile. It's, 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 it's not I have a dislike for you. It is not only dislike, but it is hostility. Jesus is getting ready to obliterate this thought. And it would have hit the Pharisees. It would have hit the scribes. It would have hit anybody that abused the Mosaic law. And that's why I put the question mark there. The first part of this is absolutely true. The second part was fabricated and made up to, to fit under the law so that, yes, it was right to hate people. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And Jesus calls it out very simply. Ekthros is the word for enemy, means anybody that is in opposition to us. Now, let me say this. We will have enemies. So it's not the enemy issue at stake here. And I'll point that out very clearly as we unfold this sermon this morning. Let's look at what Moses wrote. Let's look at what... It's so good to see so many people here this morning. That's awesome. This is what Moses wrote in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any son of your own people. You see what you see this now, right? Very, very clearly. Moses goes on to say, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. The law never specifically said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. The Pharisees would have understood this as an attack on them. What about another? What about another law? Well, Jesus goes on to say in Luke 10:25 to 28, one day an expert of the religious law, <laughs> lawyers, you got to love it, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? I notice what Jesus said. He replied, "What does the law of Moses say?" How do you read it? The man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. So apparently, he had a concept. Now, what I'm not reading this morning, do this and you will live, which I'm going to read to you right now. Now, this is what follows these verses right here. But he, the lawyer, 
desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> you catch this? See, Jesus is hitting at something that it was okay to hate people. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You'll know this story very well. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest, you catching this? A priest was going by the road and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Saw the man, didn't do anything. So likewise, a Levite. Law. When he came to the place and he saw the man, he passed him by on the other side. Now to confront this, Jesus takes the parable a little bit further. But a Samaritan. Jews did not like Samaritans. Listen to this. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wombs, pouring oil and wine over them. Then he set him on his own animal, Samaritan, somebody that is despised and hated, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is one day's wage. I don't know what that would be today. It just have, depends on what you make daily. And gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and what, whatever more you spend, I will repay you, and I will come back. Jesus turns the question now on the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, and I'm paraphrasing that part, he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Here's, here's the issue. We cannot hate people. We may disagree with them. We may disagree politically. We may disagree spiritually. But we cannot hate people. Let me give you a black and white illustration. Love and hate are on two extreme ends. On the one end, we have somebody who is caring and loving. On the other end, we have somebody who is hateful and mean. This is, this is a parable about our country today, if you haven't noticed. Then another extreme, neighbor and enemy. Jesus is pointing this out very clearly. We're going to have enemies, but it is our treatment of our enemies that makes us unique and different. Jesus says we are to be a caring people. Now Jesus comes in and he really attacks the situation. And what he does is, this is difficult. I get it. I understand. Sometimes I struggle with this myself. I want you to realize that. But we can never let our, our feelings overtake the ultimate goal of living for Christ. And I'm talking about bad feelings, negative feelings. To overtake who we are as Christians, we are called to the high ground. 
It doesn't, it, Jesus, watch, 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 watch this. But I say to you, uh uh-oh, a change is coming here. Jesus knew full well the law never said hate your enemy. The kingdom of God is about love. It has never been about hate. Yes, we hate sin. The Bible talks about that. But it also says that those who are lost are under the influence of a satanic influence. Satan has them. How can the kingdom of light bring light to the dark if we are acting like the darkness? We've got we to gotta get back to here. So Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, man, did he really? And pray for those who persecute you. Notice the high road again. You see the high road here? Here's the high road. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we love our enemies. Not that we love what they stand for or love what they do or love the way that Satan has used them and influenced them to make ungodly lifestyle choices. We're not talking about that. But we have to look at enemies the same way that Jesus did on the cross. Remember what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the Christian life. That is the Christian life. Love, agapao, a loving concern. Enemies is ekthros, same word we just looked at, in opposition to you and to me. That is difficult. It sounds a lot better to live what Jesus, or what Jesus just quoted in a verse before, love, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's the easy way to go. But Jesus says, huh, you've got to take the high road here. You have to go, you have to, if you want to live for me, this is how you have to live. This is discipleship. Years ago when I was in the army, um, particularly when I was a training NCO for our unit, company commander promoted me and I took over the training uh, for the for the unit, our unit was in bad shape. We we were only getting like 65 percent. I was a corporal then, by the way, and then I got promoted after this. But um, uh, the company commander said, uh, Corporal Fraser, we have an issue here. I don't know why he picked me. Just like me, I guess. He came to my wedding. He he was at our wedding too. And uh, he said, I need you to look at these stats, and I need you to come up with a plan of how we're going to reverse this. Because like 60% of the unit passed, which is bad. It was a yearly test. NBC, nuclear, biological, chemicals, vehicle identification, uh, stripping an M16, all these things. So I went to Sergeant Mills, and I talked with Sergeant Mills for a little bit. Actually, I was in, a, in the middle of being promoted. Uh, I hadn't made sergeant at that point, but I was already on the promotion list and was waiting for it. So the company commander put me in that spot. And I said to him, I came back and I said, sir, I think this is what we need to do. And I said, what we need to do is do what I would think would be for three months, we could call it, because I was in the 6th Cav Brigade at that time, which is uh, Black Horse. Uh, it's been disbanded now, but it's moved into 1st Cav and, and others. But the company commander said, well, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. And I said, well, we call it Black Horse Monday. We don't do anything on Mondays. The only thing we do on Mondays is put tents around our perimeter, and we have classes set up 
three months so that we have the soldiers trained in order to pass the test. And the company commander said, three months, Sergeant Frazier? I said, I think that you, repetition breeds retention. The company commander signed off on it. And we did it. Battalion commander came down and saw what was going on and said, what are you all doing? And then they pointed to me. And I said, <laughs> you know, we got out of PT that day, so people kind of liked it. We didn't have to do physical training. But part of that training was aircraft recognition, vehicle recognition, and the what, what you had to recognize. And I had people have cards. There, These were the cards, actually. This is from 1977. We had cards, and what you were trying to do was you were trying to determine a friend from a foe. You had to pass it at like 80%. To make a long story short, our unit increased to 95% success rate. I received an award for it and all that stuff. Didn't, that didn't really matter to me. But the point is, on this test, you had to identify a friend and a foe. Jesus says you need to see this equally. You can't in your own Christian life go, this is a friend, this is an enemy. Yeah, they, they are an enemy, but you can't treat them the way you want to treat them. And Jesus is driving here at this point. We will have enemies. In fact, all those that seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's us, brothers and sisters. We will be persecuted. That's a fact. When you say, I'm a follower of Christ, it's coming. But the issue is how we respond to that. You see the point here? We have to respond with calmness and clarity, and love, compassion. And let me say this. As your pastor, I realize sometimes that is very difficult to do. But set the standard high. Set the standard high. And then he says this in verse 44. And pray for those who persecute you. I need to get my glasses back on here. Prosukomai is the word for prayer, to speak to God or make a request. Lord, I pray that you drop a piano on them. That is not quite the prayer that Jesus is talking about. Or Lord, please just get them. Just get them. Yeah, David even in the Psalms writes, Lord, how long will you let my enemy prosper? But Jesus says, no, no, we need to take the high road. Prosukomai means that we are to pray that God will soften their hearts. I like what R.T. France wrote in his commentary. There is a sweeping universal command in the love Jesus demands, which has no parallel in Jewish literature. And this love will issue a prayer for for the persecutors. It is not just a sentimental feeling, oh Lord, but an earnest desire for their good. It doesn't mean that we have to say, Lord, please bless their sin. That is not the issue here. The issue is that the way to flip a foe to a friend is through prayer. 
we do not fight a physical battle. We fight a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle is the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. And we as believers have to get to a place in our lives where we go, Lord, I pray that you would loose Satan from their minds. Father, that you would let the light of the gospel shine upon them. Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts. Father, I pray that they would see the need for the cross and that they would be saved and redeemed by the blood of your son. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, oh, Father, pray that you zap them in the middle of Walmart with a lightning bolt. That's not what he's talking about. And I bet you every one of us has done it at one point, time or another. Right? I, Joyce, you're laughing the most, so you must be the most guilty of this. I came across... I came across this quote this week. It stopped me in my tracks. It's by Mark Driscoll. By praying for our enemies, we guard our own hearts that we do not become like them. The real issue is that when we project hate, we do not project the love of Christ. John MacArthur, in his sermon Friday night, was saying that one of his friends introduced him one Sunday. He was going to speak, presumably at a church. And his friend introduced him. He says, John MacArthur is a great person until he gets into the pulpit. John MacArthur chuckled because he talked about, yes, when we're on the ground and we're living our lives, we should be loving, but we should never compromise the truth in the pulpit or in our own lives. I'm not asking you, I'm not asking those that are watching by Facebook or our website, our webpage, I'm not asking you to compromise the truth. What I'm telling you is to take the high ground to love our enemies and to pray for them that they would see the light of the gospel. Do not, never, and I, I want you to walk away from here knowing, I am not telling you to compromise your beliefs. I am telling you to convert your heart to live the way Jesus wants us to live. We do not compromise the truth of the gospel. This is the problem in most megachurches today. They compromise the truth in order to get the multitudes. We don't do that. You'll never get that from me. That is my promise to you. You never get that. The big question is, why do we do this? Jesus, please tell us that since we have to pray for our enemies, why do we do this? Notice verse 45a. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This word sons, krios. You know what that word means? A follower or a disciple of the Father. Father is patir, which means someone who cares for his people. A follower of Christ loves 
the way the patir, the father, loves his people. Do you see this? We are in a loving relationship with the Father. Therefore, by virtue of that loving relationship, which none of us earned, it was paid for on the cross, we take that love and we project it onto a lost world. Notice the realm in which this takes place. Heaven. Gretinos. Gretinos. And that means the spiritual dwelling place of God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul says in Galatia, or Colossians. Seek things above, not things below. Listen, we live in the heavenly realms spiritually but physically, we live here, and the spiritual is supposed to flow through us. How can we share the gospel when we hate? How can we get the gospel across when we hate people or we have hateful speech to them? How can they be drawn to the cross if the Christian is out there yelling and screaming, hate, that is not the gospel, never has been, never will be. The way that we deal with it, brothers and sisters, is on our knees praying the darkness out of the dark people's lives. That's how we do it. That's how we roll. We're to be careful. And that's radical, by the way. <laughs> so we're to be caring people because God loves everyone. You say, Pastor Mike, does God hate sin? Yes, he does. There is coming a day when the lost world will stand before him. But until that day, we have got to be people of love. I realize this is a difficult sermon. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I even have to reel myself back at times. Dr. Windsor said, always preach confessionally, but don't hang everything out there. I get it. I hate the darkness just as much as you guys and gals. He mentions here common grace. Common grace? What's he, what are you talking about, Pastor Mike? For he makes, notice verse 45b, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. This has often been wrongly translated. God gives us good times, and he gives us bad times. That's not what this means. That's not what this means. And if it's translated that way, it makes no sense in the context that Jesus is mentioning here. Helios is the word for sun, which refers to the physical sun. I want you to watch what Jesus is doing here. Rain is breko, the Greek word breko, which is the rain. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's talking about common grace. 
John Stott, absolutely right here. This common grace of God is expressed then not in the gift of salvation, not talking about universal salvation, but in the gifts of creation, and not least in the blessing of rain and sunshine, without which we could not eat and life on the planet could not continue. Listen, God gave the sun and the rain he gives the ability for us to grow food. That is a common grace. Even if the world doesn't recognize God, he is the one that provides that. Um, the, the hydrologic cycle is this. Look at this. You get precipitation. It falls down in the form of rain or snow. You get melt. It comes off and runs off here. The sun comes out. It evaporates that water up, forms the clouds, and starts the cycle over again. Where did that come from? It came from God. That is too much of an organization to be out of nothingness. That it just came to be the Big Bang. I'm going to tell you this. If there was a Big Bang, it came from God. This is God's cycle. He's saying, look, I care for everybody. You, I'll tell you this. I, I'm fascinated with the moon. You all know that. You've seen my Facebook. I put pictures. I get it right in there. I look into it. I love the moon. You know who appreciates a sunset more than anybody? Believers. You know who appreciates a beautiful day more than anybody? Believers. Yet God says the sun and the rain are for everybody. Jesus has just been talking about the enemies. This fits perfectly in the context. Not that we have good days and we have bad days. No, that is not the point here. Jesus is saying God loves everyone. He provides for them. And I know the world says, well, it started with a bang and one molecule and boom. It takes way much more faith to believe in that than it does that God created the world. Whether they acknowledge God or not, God provides this so that we can sustain life here on earth. That is how much God loves everybody. Now again, don't walk out of here saying Pastor Mike said God loves sin. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that God provides even for the unbeliever who does not recognize him. That's the common grace. And by the way, there is nobody in this world that is too far gone that cannot be saved. That person in your life that is just unbelievably irritating maybe despises you. Jesus went to the cross for that person. Jesus willingly went to the cross, was beaten, mocked, scorned. And even on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, our Savior, dying, said that. Is our world in darkness? Absolutely. There's no question. But Christians are not called to participate in the darkness. They are called to pray the darkness out. It is tough. But Jesus calls us to love those who are unlovable. 
If you need a good example, no further than the Apostle Paul, breathing out threats against the church, imprisoning and killing Christians, and on the road to Damascus had an encounter with the risen Christ. Who, by the way, wound up being on fire for Christ and the church. He went from being a persecutor to being persecuted. Everyone who seeks to live a godly life will be persecuted. Expect it. Wait for it. There is a common grace. If God cares about humanity so much that he provides rain and sun equally without without withholding, how much more because God loves everybody, how much more should we love those who do not love us? Oh, and speaking of that, the standard. Speaking of loving those who don't love us, listen to this. 46. For if you love those who love you, you catching this? You see how this is going? This is flowing. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors are not, were not popular back then and are not popular today. I think that I feel bad for them. Verse 47. And if you greet only your brother or sister, morning guys, gals, what more are you doing than others? Jesus questions. Whenever there's a question by Jesus, it's usually a teaching moment and a reflection moment. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Don't get me started on the Gentiles because the Gentiles were not liked either. Gentiles were not even allowed into the temple. They had it blocked. Why is Jesus picking these unpopular people? He's making a point. These unpopular people are doing better than you are. Jesus always fought for the underdog. Matter of fact, you see Jesus getting in trouble over and over again. He's eating with sinners. Why would he do that? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. This was so aimed at the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are listening to this and writhing and seething, probably. Jesus will blow their gasket a little bit later in the Gospels, too. Verse 48, here's the big one. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Telios. Telios, the word perfect, it has seven different meanings in Greek. It can mean morally perfect. It can be genuine. In other words, being true. It can mean physically perfect. I'd flunk. 
years ago when I was at the doctor, my blood pressure was up, and the doctor said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor, and he immediately put me on meds. <laughs> it can mean complete. By the way, this word perfect can also mean initiated, as in a sense of initiation into membership. But I think these last two are most important. It can mean adult. And more specifically, mature in behavior. Is, is Jesus telling us to grow up in our faith? I think he is. I like what Craig Bloomberg said. I, th I think he's right. Jesus is not frustrating his hearers with an unachievable idea. You will never reach a state of sinless perfection in this life. That I can guarantee you. So that would be unattainable to be perfect, but I think adult and growing into adulthood in your Christian walk is very attainable. But challenging them to grow in obedience to God's will, that's the issue. We can, we can be mad and angry and boom, and who's that going to win to Christ? Anybody? That never wins them. What wins them is a projection of love. That's what wins them. To become more like him, that's the issue. Jesus is talking about growing up to adulthood just like God is an adult. And God is mature, and he doesn't fly off the handle. Yes, there's a day of judgment, I get that. But while we're living here, and while you have breath in your lungs, and your heart is beating, you are to be projecting love. Jay Wolford rightly observes, while sinless perfection is impossible, Godliness in its biblical concept is attainable. Have you said something this week that you shouldn't have? More importantly, have you said something you shouldn't have this week to an unbeliever? I think we could all probably say... Maybe. Tell you what you do. This is what I recommend. Write down the people on your list that you have trouble with. Do this this afternoon. Make a list of names. And instead of getting angry, First of all, I won't, for me, it won't do any good for my blood pressure. I take more pills, so I won't do that. But and, and write, write their names down on, on, a, on just, maybe there's only one or two. That's, that's, that's fine. Maybe there's more than that. I don't know. Write their names down. And this is what I want you to do this week. Pray the love of Christ on them. Just say, Father, you know I have trouble with this person. There's nothing wrong with that. And God, I, I, I really struggle with this person. Nothing wrong with that. God knows it anyway before you say it. Then you could say this, Father, you know I struggle with it. Can you help me? Can you help me love this person the way that Christ loved me? That's the key. That's the issue. That's what Jesus was driving at here. And then pray for them. Father, 
that the eyes of their heart would be open and that you would begin softening them so that they could see the light of the gospel. And Father, let me represent the light. Because I'm going to tell you, God loves them as much as he loves you. And it's frustrating to see what's unfolding. I realize that. But we have to get to a place where we go, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I am going to love them. 